Delivering high-quality, technology-centric podcasts around the world. This is MunchTech.tv. Taking a bite out of technology. Hello, welcome to episode 522 of the Two Techies for Saturday, February 6th, 2021. This is the show where we talk about the week's most notable technology stories in round an hour or less with Aaron Fisher and myself, Jimmy Bunting. We come together once a week to discuss, debate, scrutinize, explore, discuss, and everything else, the world of tech. This week, industry rivals don't necessarily agree with Facebook. A global chip shortage could cause problems for technology firms all around the world. And what does Amazon's new CEO mean for the company? You're very welcome to the show. Good morning, afternoon, evening, or good night, wherever it is, wherever you're listening from. Thank you for taking the time to do so. Episode 522 of the show, the first for February, uh, the second in the year, and the second in the 11th year of us doing the show. If you took the time uh, to join last week, then you, you would know that. And if you didn't, well, you're probably better off for not listening, but you wouldn't know that. But maybe you do. Maybe you keep tabs of these things. I don't know. But depends depends how much of a fan a super fan you are of the show and i don't really like calling people it, it you join us to listen you're not a fan certainly not a fan of aaron he hasn't joined us yet so we can talk about him um oh oh wait <coughs> sorry hello aaron literally there. sat here completely innocent and then just <laughs> yeah absolutely wrecked like unbelievable unbelievable indeed um it's your turn i got nothing i, I can't compete with that <laughs> i'm sure you could i'm sure you could um this is as we said at the start I said at the start, Aaron didn't bother to say anything. Start. Thanks, Aaron. Much great help. Too busy trying to keep my microphone stand up this way. Oh, right. Fair enough. First world problems. Exactly. Uh, this is a, a podcast that has been running for 11 years and a week. And it basically looks at the week's technology news that we find or we feel that is worth talking about. And I think for the first time in a long time, and I say a long time in quite a while in this COVID period, we have a really good show lined up. Wouldn't have said that a few weeks ago because wouldn't have said it. We don't have a good show lined up, but it, it, it was hard. It was tight the wire to find news which was interesting. And there, there, believe it or not, there is criteria for news for this show in the fact it needs to be relevant. And the show, we try not to compile it that it focuses on one single company or area. However, sometimes hard to do. And especially when there's companies taking up the news on certain weeks, <coughs> Apple, and that, that sometimes becomes a bit difficult. But this week, this is this- less on Apple um, and more on other companies, which again, nice and broad. And that's the way we like it. This is the first time, I think, in at least a year, kind of pre-pandemic now, where we've actually had to go, hmm, I think we need to cut some stuff from the show or there's too much news. Like, I don't remember this in a long time. Um, obviously, so much stuff on pause for gestures at the world um but yeah it kind of maybe things are getting back on track it kind of feels like the world is slowly starting to get back on track obviously with with the vaccine rollout there is there is hope yet yeah yeah there is and that's again down to the terrific work of those who have been involved in the curation of of such um a rollout in in all shapes and forms as we said last week and hopefully there is light at the end of this very long tunnel this week in terms of technology there has actually been quite a lot and um really from quite a plethora of companies which again is is unheard of in recent times uh, snapchat the ceo has sort of gone against facebook in a way what he said essentially is uh, what zuckerberg said a while ago about apple's new ios 14 privacy connotations facebook might pretty soon after and essentially said and this is it translated what apple are doing is protecting consumers information data and and their privacy and it means we can't make money off them. So they're actually disservicing small businesses and small businesses are going to suffer because of this. Darn new Apple. Uh, whereas Snapchat, I've kind of said, yeah, it, it does affect our ad business, but it's in the interest of consumers. So whether or not Snapchat are in the middle, i.e. they probably don't want it to happen because again, it is going to affect their bottom line, but they're acknowledging the fact, okay, yes, we're not going to lie. Of course, it's in the consumer's interest. Whereas Facebook, we're more than happy to say it's not in anyone's interests and it's terrible that consumers 
consumers would be able to have a say over their privacy because that's essentially what it is. There is a shortage, a global shortage of computer uh, chips. And I say computer chips, but I mean chips for anything. Not the fries that you eat. Um, that, that's not funny, Aaron. Is I was trying to be funny, but <laughs> your moral support is great. Greatly appreciated. Um, but yeah, a global shortage of computer chips. And this could really have a knock-on effect. And I, I wouldn't discourage monger because obviously these things go into the press. They, they, they never really come to fruition. Um, but it could create a, a bit of a bottleneck for the, those devices. And I'm talking about from a fridge freezers to washing machines or cars, laptops, mobile phones, etc. And also, more interestingly, shockingly this week, Jeff Bezos has said he will stand down as the CEO of Amazon. What will happen next? What will Amazon head for with a new CEO under the realm? We'll talk about all that and more. Before then, we'll go to the quick news. Whether it's John Deere's efforts to make tractor repair costly and annoying, Apple's bullying of independent repair shops, or Sony and Microsoft's attempts to monopolize game console repair, US corporations have done an incredible job the last few years driving bipartisan public interest in the right to repair movement. Last year witnessed monumental progress for the right to repair, including the expansion of an existing Massachusetts law that requires car makers to provide independent mechanics access to the same diagnostic tools used in dealerships. A federal right to repair law was also considered for the first time in US history. Consumer rights organizations like the USPIRD state 14 states are now in the process of introducing and debating new right to repair laws. Some states, such as Montana, are even considering multiple laws that cover both agricultural equipment and consumer tech. A recent report by the USPIRG found that repair monopolization comes with a significant cost for American consumers. It also found that American families would save $40 billion a year, or roughly $330 a family per year, if they repaired more products and used them for longer periods. It's of course in addition to the environmental impact of slowing the rate of expanding landfills. Users of Google's Chrome browser have faced three security concerns over the past 24 hours in the form of a malicious extension with more than 2 million users, a just-fixed zero-day, and new information about how MyWiller can use Chrome's Sing feature to bypass firewalls. First up, the Great Suspender, an extension with more than 2 million downloads from the Chrome Web Store. It was pulled from Google servers and deleted from users' computers. Uh, next, on Google, or sorry, Google on Thursday released a Chrome update that fixes what the company said was a zero-day vulnerability in the browser. And lastly, a security researcher reported on Thursday that hackers were using malware that abused the Chrome Sync feature to bypass firewalls so the malware could connect to command and control service. Sync allows users to bookmark, share, sorry, share bookmarks, browser tabs, extensions, and passwords across different devices running Chrome. And the attackers used a malicious extension that wasn't available in the Chrome Web Store. Products that could cause electric shock or fires remain for sale on Wish.com, despite being highlighted in a BBC watchdog investigation. Hair clippers and a hairdryer were among items flagged back on Wednesday, still available on Wish's website. The US company's failure to remove them was extremely concerning, the charity Electrical Safety First chief executive Leslie Rudd said. It said sellers on its platform were responsible for their good safety, but it has not responded to a question about why it has not removed the listings now and it has been brought to its attention. And finally, people who want to swap broadband providers should be able to do so more simply. Regulator Ofcom has said it follows its own research suggesting 40% of people are put off switching just because it's considered too complex. Under its proposals, customers would just contact their chosen new provider and the switch would happen automatically. There is currently a mismatch between the number of superfast connections available and those taking them up. While 96% of the UK homes can now get superfast broadband, offering speeds of at least 30 megabits per second, Ofcom estimates that only 60% have such services. This means around 11 million homes could upgrade to a faster service, and part of the reason they haven't done so yet could be down to what Ofcom describes as the hassle of having to deal with more than one provider. Currently, if someone wants to swap providers and both firms use the OpenReach network, for instance Sky and TalkTalk, the new company manages the switch. But if someone wishes to switch from a provider using OpenReach to Virgin Media or another one like City Fiber or Hypertropic, 
hyper optic sorry and they would have to contact both their existing and new firms The right to remove uh, the, the right to remove Aaron from the show. That's what I was totally going to Again, say. Again, <laughs> sat here totally innocently. <laughs> <laughs> you, you're not innocent though. Let's let's be real. People know rightly. That you pretend true. exactly. You see, he admits. It. I'm like a pinata. Uh, the right to repair moment, movement. Though. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, sorry. I was, I was saying I'm like a pinata at the moment. Though. <laughs> you're taking all the abuse. Um, sue me. That's all I can say. Uh, the right to repair movement poised to explode in 2021, and I think it's all. It's been a long time coming. Um, companies obviously do not want people repairing devices themselves they do not want companies but companies they do not want people taking their devices to third party manufacturers my words are just not i'm I'm choosing the right words but not necessarily in the right order uh... they don't necessarily want consumers taking their devices to third party repairers engineers so on so forth i was thinking i was thinking about this earlier obviously we've been pretty big uh advocates for right to repair kind of in lots of situations especially obviously when it relates to technology yeah. but i was thinking about this specifically earlier when i am forever flip-flopping on headphones or earphones that i use when going for a walk you know this i'm like trying everything under the sun buying like eight pairs a week at this rate just trying to work out what what i like and what i don't like and i've probably gone like a month or two without using my airpods uh, airpod pros and i actually took out i took my airpods airpod pros and my og airpods out and the airpods are what three years old four years old something like that i've had them pretty much since day one they were excuse me for like a year or two used daily probably even longer than that actually they got a lot of use and when i replaced them with the pros they're at the point where famously with airpods they don't hold their charge anymore like i opened them up i connected them to my phone early and you could literally watch the battery percentage go down it was probably going down a percentage faster than the second hand the second uh, um arm on the clock was 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 moving um and it was funny how it just kind of like i don't know snapped into my head that i just kind of accepted that this was normal and okay that like nah the battery's gone in them it's a throwaway product there's nothing i can do i can't replace anything um i have to, to throw them away and buy a new one it's it's really ironic because just on one the um right to repair side of things i guess comes into but on two it's like apple are making such a push to be environmentally friendly in this and that and the other and here they are pumping out products that literally are throwaway items after a year or two and it's not like you're not paying for that you're paying for the privilege of this product being useless in a couple of years um the airpods pros will do exactly the same thing they'll just become useless after a couple of years um and you have no way of changing the battery out yourself um and you can't even ask Apple or an independent repair store or anyone to replace that battery. It's literally impossible to do. I think there are some tutorials on YouTube, but it like requires lots of expensive equipment to be able to do. Uh, and the, the chance of, of breaking something is extremely high. Now, obviously, we can't. I think it would be foolish of us to expect user replaceable batteries in an item so small and delicate. But there's got to be a middle ground or something that can be done or that it could be built in such a way where instead of Apple replacing them by actually giving you a new set um, that they could replace the battery like they can replace the battery in your iPhone. This would, we, We'd kick up so much of a stink if Apple's re- battery replacement program was just an iPhone replacement program. And I appreciate they say they recycle stuff, but recycling is still less efficient than just making the product last more than two years. And it's just like, Mm. why have we got to this point where we just accept that so much of what we buy and so much of what we spend a good chunk of our income on, the AirPods, for example, they're not cheap. We just sort of accept that, yeah, I mean, two years, it's great life. Like It shouldn't be like that. There are multiple strands to the question. Um, First off, there's the environmental impact, of course. And then there's the financial impact, as you're saying, the economical one, whereby companies are happy enough to pay or to charge, not exuberant, but certainly increased prices for the products. And yet we as consumers don't 
don't always question what's acceptable. And it falls down to multiple things, especially in the UK, for example, Consumer Rights Act, which states a product must last a satisfactory amount of time. But that is open to interpretation. What is a satisfactory amount of time? Is it a year, two years, five years, 10 years? And that also depends on the price of the product. Now, I'm not saying because you buy a more expensive product, you should expect it to last longer. But what I do mean is buying a £10 pair of headphones, if they lasted two years, and ironically enough, sometimes the, the cheaper things would last longer, you know, but but um, in, in this case, I mean, so you buy a £10 pair of headphones, it's probably not reasonable to expect any sort of remuneration after two years if they break. On the other hand, a £250 pair of headphones, i.e. the AirPods, for example, that's a different story. Because is it reasonable? Yeah, it's probably reasonable to expect some sort of remuneration repair replacement if they were to break within a two-year period because you've paid £250 for a product that should probably last a bit longer than that if they're looked after and so on and so forth. But there's a long way to go in this, especially in the UK. Even in America, clear to see that this is still in its infancy. And the thing is, the whole repair mechanism has changed. The goalposts have changed because products have changed. I think it, it goes back to what you said, Aaron. Products aren't necessarily user interchangeable anymore, especially those products that are thin in form factor are lightweight, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. They're not made necessarily to repair, which is another question in itself. But even if they are made and they can be repaired, they're not necessarily repairable by the user for multiple reasons, either through um, intentional acts by the manufacturer by using joining methods, which aren't exactly repairable, i.e. the iPad gluing the screen or using screws that consumers probably won't have a screwdriver for or would at least have to order a part for. Um, and then on top of that, they just they want you to bring the product into them because they want to make the money off you. Uh, I mean, so there's a long way to go in this, um, but it is good to see progress being made, even if it isn't true progress in in the, the sense that advances have been made. Hopefully, on the way. One one of the uh, one of the big things when choosing a new set of noise cancelling headphones for me was I you look into everything, and I think one of the things I've been trying to do with more and more purchases recently is okay, how easy is it for me to repair and one of the big things for um, the headphones i ended up going with them being wireless they obviously have a rechargeable battery well all of a sudden i started looking up on iFixit before i bought either of the products to see how easy it was in a couple of years down the line to change over the battery how easy yeah. was it and how accessible were things like the ear cups so stuff that generally fails so the padding on the ear cups uh, the battery stuff like that like how easy is that for me to be able to go in and do just this week i I replaced on, on an old set of headphones I replaced a set of ear cushions because they died to split. I bought those headphones three, four years ago and ten pound later from Amazon, brand new set of ear cushions on them. I don't have to throw them away and get a get a new set. Um, with the Sony noise cancelling headphones that I have, I, I know that it's just a, a lithium ion battery that you can open it up. Um it's I think it's like it's got an actual connector on it um that you can just replace. Um take for example, I recently put a new battery in my my 5.5 gen iPod. This thing is from 2006. It still had its original battery in. Cracked it open, new battery off of eBay, away it goes. It's got another long lease of life because you can get inside and repair this stuff. You don't need really any fancy tools or, or um, I mean, it's it's not one of those, you can just take the back off by sliding it up or something. It's not what you would call properly user replaceable, but it didn't require you. It's not glued together or really any specialist tools. You can just get in there with a plastic pick or a, or a spudger of some kind and and, and you're in um, and it's just it, it's funny when I, I look at this iPod and my iPhone sat next to each other at the moment and it's 2006 how easy one is to get into and then the iPhone from last year is just wouldn't dream of doing anything on that wouldn't, wouldn't dream of going inside and replacing the battery for all manner of reasons um, the iPod won't kick up a fuss if you put a non-genuine anything in it it's got a uh, an SD card in there instead of the hard drive it doesn't it doesn't care Whereas with the iPhone, if you, God forbid, you replace something with a non-genuine part, screen, a camera, whatever, it freaks out in software and starts yelling at you. Like Apple yeah. have really tied it down. I think it, it's not just Apple, obviously. Um, you know, the article leads with the example of John Deere, and they've been famously doing it for for, for longer than any of these tech companies. Um, so yeah, it, there's a long way to go, and I hope this this was obviously very US focused, but I hope this kind of um, wrinkles out through through the uh, through the rest of the world as well. Chrome users through the week, as I said in the quick news, faced a, at least three security concerns within a 24 hour period, and I think I put that in to be a devil's advocate because yes, there there were three security concerns. 
In fact, there were probably more that we don't know about. But Chrome users and users of all browsers face many times more concerns than this every single day. Most people just don't know it. And I argue with me if you want, Darren, because I, you certainly have more experience in that background in terms of web development and so on. But it's true. These threats aren't necessarily always as obvious as what these three have been this week. And I think it's just a reinforcement of the fact that those threats are always there, whether whether you know it or not. Um, a browser is a completely and very extremely complex thing in terms of functionality and dependencies, use of system providing components to provide functionality. And there's a constant threat and a constant stream of vulnerabilities there. And then also on the same side, a constant stream of improvements. Um, obviously, the, the fact that the press this week did catch that that three in the 24-hour period, it jumped on it. Um, on a given day, one in itself wouldn't be very interesting. But what I will say is, interestingly enough, one of the plugins I used myself called The Great Suspender, and essentially Chrome's known to, to be quite resource heavy, especially in, a t- in one particular tab. And they have quite a few tabs open that can put a lot of demand on the CPU on a computer. And so the great suspender essentially suspended tabs after a certain period of inactivity, which was good in, in one sense for the computer for resource management. However, it was recently bought over and apparently, supposedly, as time and time went on, it became more malice with the new users, users, new owners. Again, right words, wrong order. Um, but essentially, Google copped onto it and, and just chucked it off the, the app store and suspended it on uh, Chrome Systems. Because when I went on my computer, I noticed that this has been suspended, that the great suspender has been suspended um and obviously it was a a google decision go ahead Aaron. i think um i think what i mean you can't it's tricky as much as i don't like chrome and particularly google it's hard to blame them for a couple of these one being an extension outside of the app store the other being an extension's fault and then the others being the other one actually being an issue in chrome but um i think it really does kind of highlight that it with browsers as well we always tell people to be aware of what they're installing on their computer but at the point uh, where it's like you've got to be aware of what you're installing on your browser as well. Um, so many people, obviously, we're doing more and more and more within our web browsers now. Online banking, um, a lot of confidential information, we're storing lots of documents, we're conducting work, all that kind of stuff. And people will just willy-nilly install these extensions from wherever, inside or outside the uh, the official web stores. And as it, as we as we demoed here, even official ones or ones from inside the, uh, the web store aren't exactly the uh, guaranteed or anything. So I think people really do need to be careful with what they install. Install trusted things. Um, again, tricky. The great suspender. I mean, even when I used to be a Chrome user, I used that one as well. So it was just a generally popular one. But yeah, it's uh, it's scary how much um, information these have access to. I don't know if Chrome does it. You might be at the time. But when you install a extension on Firefox, I think Safari as well, um, they will both go kind of like when you install an app on your phone where it goes it needs access to this it needs access to that the extension installer will do very much the same thing so it will say this extension will be able to read your history it will be able to read the contents yeah it does all open tabs and stuff like that and i think when it comes up with that it's yep. like some stuff they have to ask for that to be able to do their job um let's say i don't know instapaper well instapaper has to be able to read the url because that's how the extension works that kind of thing like you use your common sense i guess but yeah. when you're installing, let's say, a theme, I don't know, a theme extension or something, and it wants access to like history and whatnot, you need to like double check that kind of stuff because I'm not saying everyone's out for malice intent. Some people just don't set permissions correctly. Um, but yeah, I think double check the permissions extensions have. Double check whether they can run in incognito mode or in private mode or whatever. Um, because if you're doing things like online banking, entering lots of passwords, dealing with personal documents, whatever it is um you need to double check what extensions are, uh, are potentially spying on you or, or causing issues because you'd be surprised these days 100 percent wish the uh, i would say popular e-commerce website online which offers uh, i was going to say dodgy but, but that probably isn't the right word questionable goods at times still selling dangerous products despite being highlighted um by the bbc one example in a watchdog investigation hair clippers and hair dryers were among items flagged still available on their website um, and the fact that they've just essentially failed to do anything about it is indeed extremely concerning as the post says and a lot of the time these goods are i'm nearly sure the hair dryer in question is 
pretty much a replica of the much more expensive Dyson offering. And again, nearly sure when I, there was a program a while ago on on the same thing whereby an electrical engineer took apart the counterfeit product, compared it to the genuine product and carried out certain testing. Most importantly, especially with these items, i.e. her dryer or her clippers, her tongs, straighteners, whatever. There is obviously an element of heat, quite a lot of it. And so how is that heat generated? How is it dissipated? How is it stored, etc., etc.? Where does the heat go? And essentially, in the the non-genuine products, the heat there is very little to no protection in the event of overheat. And with heat comes fire, potentially, Um, or at least the the potential for ignition. And in the test, they did actually catch fire. So more needs to be done on this. Certainly by by vendors and by the the websites selling the products. Surely the the scariest one I think I've seen so far, and I only saw this the other day is um, subscribe to a channel called uh, Big Blive. He is known for, let's say, people send him in stuff. Wish.com specials is probably a good uh, good, good way of putting it. <laughs> and he's very intelligent. I'm, I think he has some kind of engineering background or, or ele- electrical engineering background as well. And he showed everyone how, you know, the RCD in your circuit breaker um, that trips when you have an overload or something in the house. Um, he showed exactly how that works. And it's a very kind of complex circuitry inside with lots of failure points like uh, thermal failure points. There's a bunch of stuff that can trip it, like not just one thing. And then he showed one that I assume has been acquired from the internet somewhere. So bearing in mind a real one has this kind of lots of complex stuff in it, lots of safety devices. And this fake one, it had a very real, it looked very real, very realistic uh, kind of feeling switch. You know, circuit breakers have that kind of threshold on the switch. Very convincing. It was a piece of wire inside with a steel contact that was it it was no it wasn't doing anything because it was just a a piece of wire connecting the input and the output there was no nothing in there and it's like this had actually been pulled out of a live installation somewhere and it's like this is insane i mean it really does yeah that's obviously he didn't say where that was from so it's not a thing on wish but buy from places you trust as locally as possible even stuff from like amazon beware i mean you look at the reviews and even some of the big name items bearing in mind like take a company like apple apple weren't on apple didn't sell the stuff on amazon up until only like a year or two ago but apple stuff has been sold on amazon for years and most of it was counterfeit in some way it was a third party seller that's not to say all of it was but famously um things that would look like official apple charges sold by apple bearing in mind apple weren't on there at all would be counterfeit cables counterfeit all that kind of stuff would be fakes and sometimes the, the fakes can be as good as the real ones but it really is a 50 50 chance and you exactly. really do it's a minefield buying stuff these days it's not and yeah people just wish.com has obviously exploded in popularity in recent years it's you know, bargain basement prices for what seems like a good deal or, or good quality and that can be true for some things this is not a, a blanket statement for everything but the opposite can also be true the problem is it's exactly that isn't it and with any product even with a genuine charger from a genuine company there is the potential for failure there is the potential for for example worst case scenario fire but the chances are a lot less because there are more complex more intricate probably more reliable fail-safe systems built in and even at that if something does go wrong there is accountability there is a company to hold responsible whereas when you're purchasing from a vendor you don't necessarily have the full details on them you don't necessarily have a point of contact they may just disappear if it if, if it genuinely is a true counterfeit product which could be imitating potentially patented designs which could again be a legal issue who are you going to contact who's going to take responsibility at that point and there have been countless examples over the past years of buyers injuries i could be completely wrong here didn't in fact no i don't think i am someone did die from lifting i don't know if it was an iphone or an android phone but they were charging it using a counterfeit charger do you remember that story aaron definitely sir i surfaced. can't say i do but it also sounds completely legit to be fair it did yeah. No, they, they were literally using their phone. They were using their phone and were electrocuted as it was plugged in. And that just reinstates for the sake of maybe a, a few extra pennies, go and buy a genuine product. And I'm not necessarily saying buy it from the manufacturer, but make sure the company that makes the charger is reputable. That's the difference. And I'm speaking of regulations, regulator Ofcom saying that broadband switching should be less hassle. And of course it should. And this falls into a lot of categories because recently, in, in recent years within the UK anyway, switching electricity providers, heating suppliers, um, and so 
and so forth has become easier. So it should just be the same for broadband. It's a utility. There are multiple offerings, including the hypertropic that I said, which is actually hyperoptic. But we could patent that, Aaron. We could make it a thing. Coming soon to you, dial up hypertropic. Sounds fast, doesn't it? Yeah, it's not. So yeah, um, not much to say on that. It needs to get needs to get quicker, needs to get easier, and hopefully Ofcom will be on it, and there will be a uh, more of a, a universal changeover system. Unlike Zuckerberg, Snap's CEO Spiegel says Apple's iPhone privacy change is good for consumers, maybe not necessarily for Snap. Uh, whilst it will be disruptive for advertising, he says it's ultimately the right choice for consumers. We feel like we're prepared well for these changes. And frankly, because these changes are in line with our privacy philosophy, we've never allowed device-specific targeting, for example. And we've always taken a very proactive stance when it comes to our users' data. We generally view this as a good thing overall for consumers, even if it's a little disruptive for advertising and advertisers in the near term. That's what Evan Spiegel told in an interview on Friday this week. And again, it's that question of uh, Facebook's intentions, Facebook's ideology behind it, because they were were very quick, very, very, very quick to take a complete vengeance against Apple when the privacy changes were announced. And they tried to take the standpoint, it's not good for small business, it's going to affect them, it's going to affect the consumer. And thankfully, no one bought it because everyone realized, well, hold on a minute, increasing privacy potentiality for consumers. What? How, how could that be bad? And all Apple are doing here is giving consumers more choice. They're not necessarily telling users they must enable XYZ, they must restrict the app from, from accessing A, B or C. They're giving users the choice to prevent the app. And so it's very telling when a company becomes worried when users get that choice because surely a company should be encouraging their users to have that choice. If they have nothing to hide, right? It would almost seem like Facebook has something to hide, would they? Never. I actually, I'm sure your uh, strong views are. I really like um, Snapchat's stance on this. And to be fair, I've always thought that companies like Facebook have not less to lose from a change like this from Apple, but they obviously make so much money from so many different places through so many different models that a change like this, whilst yes, it will or could have an effect on them, um, it did feel like crying over spilt milk slightly. Whereas for a company like Snapchat, where basically their entire, entire revenue model is built on advertising and targeted advertising, it felt like they would have probably been the ones to complain or kick up a fuss more. And I actually, re- it's really refreshing to see a company go, yeah, it's not great for our bottom line potentially, but it's the right thing for the end user. And it's like, well, that's how I think things should probably be looked at. Um, it's the right stance to take for us as users. And it's kind of nice to see a company going, we'll figure it out. We'll bounce back. Um, we can work around this or, or whatever it is. Um, bearing in mind, this whole the whole thing this fuss has caused around is not it's not Apple going. You can't advertise on the platform anymore. The, exactly. Honestly, the way Facebook the the, the way Facebook started uh, talking about it made it sound like Apple were like banning ads on the platform or something. It's purely that within the iPhone you can go and reset it yourself already. There's something called the advertising ID, and that basically is from what I understand, it's basically an, an anonymized version of you. If that makes sense. It's an ID number that can stay present across everything. It's not directly attached to you as an individual. It's attached to your phone or your your device as this identifier. Um, and I believe you can go into the privacy settings on an iPhone now and you can actually click reset advertising ID. Um, and I think all this does is Apple are now going to put up a put up some kind of box or warning, probably when an app tries to access it for the first time or retrieve that ID, whether you want to allow or deny. And I see if you click deny, you'll still get adverts, but that company won't be able to attach anything or Apple will randomize the ID sent. Very similar to how the uh, how Apple Pay works, I should say, um, where a company doesn't get your card number. They don't get any information aside from just the stuff they need. They get a randomized ID that gets used as your, your card number instead. Apple basically create, let's say, fake card numbers on the fly. It's all about giving the merchant the least amount of information possible from a security point of view, but also from a privacy point of view. Um, They don't need to know your card number long term. They do need to know your address. Some things you can't help. But um, the advertising ID, it know, Facebook will know, Snapchat will know, Instagram will know. They'll all be able to see the same ID and it can be used across the web. You take an app like Facebook, for example, well, it means they can show you the same ad. They know who you are in Instagram or they know your phone in Instagram. They also know that same phone in the 
Facebook app and that same phone in the WhatsApp app or Messenger app or whatever. Um, whereas if Apple put up this box and people click deny, well, it's a completely random ID between everything. And the issue there is it has the potential to make targeted advertising less effective, which essentially causes Facebook a problem because they derive nearly all of their revenue from advertising, specifically targeted advertising, because that's what makes money, because it's what gets people clicking, essentially. And it's the click-through rate that would give them that revenue. Apple may say they're doing this to help people, but the moves clearly track their competitor interests, is what Zuckerberg said. Uh, we and others are going to be up against this for the foreseeable future. Well, I'm sorry to break it, Zuck, but uh, for forever probably, because I can't really imagine that Apple are going to backtrack on this. This, this seems I mean, to be going as I, a set going forward. Did you watch the Tim Cook interview on privacy last week? I did not. I think we might have talked about a story that came out of it, but I watched it this week. It's like an eight or nine minute spiel Tim Cook does on privacy because he was talking at a privacy summit. And the amount of not naming Facebook directly, but (laughs) implied, yeah, like Apple are not going to back, Tim Cook and Apple are not going to back down on this. He he was pretty adamant. (laughs) Sorry, Karen. Well, that was it, essentially. Uh, Facebook clearly aren't happy that it affects their bottom line in such a substantial way. But what that does is highlight where Facebook rely heavily to make money, and it's on the user. And Harvesting your data. Realistically, well, yeah. And the thing is, again, Apple aren't stopping them from doing it. They're giving them the, the choice to the consumer in a more easier, easily uh, manageable way. And through Facebook worrying about that, what they're really saying is, we don't want consumers to know what we're doing. We don't want to be as transparent as what Apple are going to make us be, which really speaks volumes. That says a lot about their business model. I would actually really quite like it if... Bearing in mind, we're hearing a similar story or a similar rumor that Google might be following suit. Um, I think to a lesser degree, but it's very interesting how people... Apple basically... I don't want to say pioneer. Apple go in guns blazing first. They can take all the flack. And then Google do it as well. It was the same with uh, Epic and Fortnite. Like Google did the same thing Apple did, but Apple are the ones who did it first. So they're the ones who get all the, all the shtick. But um, I would find it really interesting if, if on the iPhone or Android or whatever, if on your phone, let's say, or any device, it would be really interesting if they could put in the settings or, or somewhere like a log of every time an app accesses a piece of information or um, like every time it logs a location, accesses the camera. I already know on iOS that when something uses the camera or the microphone, you do get a little warning, kind of like the green light on a Mac. But I'd be really fascinated to see like a log. So this app pinged your location at this time, you know, um, Facebook requested your advertising ID at this time. Like, I'd love to see if you can output just a list of every app and everything that's happening on your phone. I bet it would be scary and I bet it would knock a whole bunch of apps um, or knock some sense into a whole bunch of apps with the negative press it would would, uh, accrue. But I'd love to I'd love if they did something like that. Be telling. And if Google do it, that's that that really would be the cherry on top of a cake, which Apple have kind of already baked. For the most part, uh, they go unseen, but computer chips are obviously at the heart of all digital products that surround us. And when supplies run short, it can halt manufacturing. There's been a bit of a problem, a hint of a problem last year. Uh, when gamers struggled to buy a new graphics card, Apple had the stacker, the release of its iPhones, and the latest Xbox and PlayStation consoles came nowhere close to meeting demand. Then, just before Christmas, it emerged the resurgent car industry was facing what one insider called Chipageddon. New cars often include more than 100 microprocessors and manufacturers were quite simply unable to source them all. Since then, one technology company after another has warned they too face similar constraints. Samsung is struggling to fill orders for memory chips it makes for its own and other products, and Qualcomm, which makes the processors and modems that power many leading smartphones and other consumer gadgets, have the same problem. Much like everything wrong in the world right now, the coronavirus is partly to blame. Lockdowns fueled sales of computers and other devices to let people work from home, and they also bought new gadgets to occupy their time off. The automotive industry, meanwhile, initially saw a big dip in demand and cuts in its orders, and as a result, chip makers switched over their production lines. 
But then, in the third quarter of 2020, sales of cars came roaring back more quickly than anticipated, while demand for the consumer electronics continued unabated. And with existing foundries running at capacity, building more is not a simple matter though. It takes about, say, 18 to 24 months for a plant to open. Um, and even once you've built one, you have t- you have to tune it and get the yield up. It takes a bit of time as well. It's not something that would just be switched on and off. So there is a real increase in demand. At the same time, there isn't the infrastructure to supply that demand right now. So the point being, obviously in this case, um, and I hate to mention them again, but Apple have become less and less reliant on third-party manufacturers for a, a range of things. And in some cases, now chips for the products as well. In fact, for some time, they've manufactured their own chipset in the iPhone. Uh, and they've now started with the Mac lineup with the M1 becoming less and less reliant on Intel. Uh, and you can kind of see the rationale behind that to some extent. Control over the product, obviously, um, but also control over manufacturing as well. Bearing in mind, Apple don't manufacture the chip. Apple still use these companies. They still, I think like the original A4 and the iPad was manufactured by Samsung. Um, I think TSMC manufacture the M1, I think. Um, so Apple, Apple don't actually like have their own manufacturing plant that I'm aware of. They design and, and do everything in-house, but I think they will still be struck by these same delays or the, the same problem because they are part of this. Um, they are they use these companies, I should say. True, but the resource and demand on their own product, they're requesting their own product to be manufactured. I'm sure the manufacturers have some sort of allocation for it. No one else is asking for the A14 or the M1 chip. So they kind of have that isolated supply chain for their own products. But yeah, that still doesn't make them immune from, from difficulty. I mean, I think we've heard, um, you, you brought it up, um, the NVIDIA. Obviously, that was like, I don't think I've ever seen a launch quite go as badly wrong as that did. Um, that properly took the cake um, on, on how colossally bad. And it's still going on. Like, we are four or five months on from that being launched. And I think cards are still a, a, a scarcity. Um, I would assume it's been the same thing that's plagued recent console launches as well. Impossible to find. I think you're right. Um, yeah, so I've just I've just had a look. It is TSMC that do the M1. Um, and I actually find it amazing that Apple do actually manage to kind of bust through all of that and uh, not be not be so affected because the Nvidia thing was just it almost seemed I I can't decide if a lot of people can't decide if it was Nvidia trying to drum up business. Obviously, the less the supply is, the higher the demand often is. Um, and Nvidia kind of accidentally created a black market for them and or and um, Microsoft and and or should I say Sony did as well with the PlayStation 5. Um, the supply wasn't there, so the demand went up, and all of a sudden this console that cost, I, know, I think, like £400 for the cheapest one. Well, the cheapest you could find it on eBay all of a sudden was like seven or £800. Um, and whenever they were came in stock, this goes for the NVIDIA card as well, um, a store would get like five of them and sell out in two minutes. Like, it's absolutely insane how bad this has been, and I don't ever remember this happening to such a degree before there have been launches that have been um a struggle i mean specifically talking iphone launches kind of like probably around the four five six time really before it felt like how apple had got a, a stranglehold on their, their their supply um always used to, to sell out so fast and then be backed up for so long but i'm pretty sure that was just that always felt like it was a demand like apple didn't ever make enough at the time or they were they were always facing shortages on glass or displays or ram you remember apple used to face problem yeah apple were famous for like buying up all the flash storage and whatnot and causing problems for other companies um but yeah this is the first time in a while where it's felt like lots of companies have been able to pin that blame on not being able to get the chip made and coronavirus is obviously as you say it's uh it's a cause of so many of the problems at the moment it'll be interesting to see how this plays out in years to come going forward because demand is only ever going to get higher for this stuff um so yeah i think the sudden increase well the sudden decrease and then all of a sudden the sudden increase uh, sort of merged together was certainly certainly part of the problem here. So firing up infrastructure, being prepared, having the facility to manufacture the chips um, on demand is certainly, certainly part of the answer here. 
And also, if you think about Moore's law, which states that the number of transistors on a dense integrated circuit doubles around every two years, that correlation is still going, and it has been for a long time. So, theoretically, manufacturers have just adapted time over time again, because they've had to manufacture more chips, because more chips are being put on the board in more products. So, yeah, I, I think it's just a bit of a blip. As you say, it will be interesting to see, as because demand is going nowhere anytime fast, but I think this is just a, a blip in the radar. What isn't a blip in the radar is Jeff Bezos's history with Amazon and the company's history to what it's just turned into a mega giant. Jeff Bezos, the CEO, has announced that he will step down as CEO from the role. He'll transition over to a new position at the company as executive chair of the Amazon board in the third quarter of 2021. Andy Jassy, who currently serves as CEO of Amazon Web Services, will replace Bezos as the CEO of Amazon. To quote him, being the CEO of Amazon is a deep responsibility and it's consuming when you have a responsibility responsibility like that. It's hard to put the attention on anything else. Come to Bezos in an email about the change. Sorry, that comes from Bezos, not Jassy. As executive chair, I will stay in engaged in important Amazon initiatives, but also have the time and energy I need to focus on the Day One Fund, the Bezos Earth Fund, Blue Origin, the Washington Washington Post, and my other passions. Though Bezos has been the CEO since he founded the company in 94, he's presided over obviously the, the, the combustion as it grew from an online bookstore into one of the most dominant technology companies in the world. And we've had this conversation before about their monopolization of so many markets, but Amazon really are entering everything. If you think about it, it's good in a way, not great in another way, though. I think um, taking over, or the guy taking over, obviously coming from being the CEO of AWS, is kind of a big tell of where Amazon want to push forward in the future. If your focus was retail or uh, you know pushing the Amazon Web Store or whatever, you know the Amazon.com that we know, it kind of feels like that would be where you would kind of hire from inside to, to make the guy who's been in charge of web services for four or five years um, the CEO. I think is very telling. I mean, we know that Amazon AWS powers like the internet. Um, whenever AWS seems to suffer any kind of outage recently, it's like nuts. How much of the web it takes with it, um, which is a scary thing as well. But I think I would imagine that it is also a huge moneymaker for them. Um, so yeah, I'm super interested to see where Amazon goes in the future. I think a few people have commented this as well. I think it would actually be really... I know Jeff Bezos has said that stepping down to, to help focus on other ventures and whatnot. Bearing in mind, this is this news came pretty much as Amazon also announced absolute record-breaking quarter. So it's not a performance-related issue, obviously. Um, but it would be good to see Bezos follow a similar role or similar route to uh, Bill Gates. Obviously, Bill Gates stepped down as the CEO of Microsoft um, in the early 2000s and ever since has led a charge to make good in the world or make the world a better place um, which has only been a good thing and I think has changed the view of him in many many ways to many many people. He's very much gone from being the nerdy CEO of Microsoft to this amazing philanthropist and it would be absolutely epic if people like Bezos followed the same way. I mean Bezos, what his wealth is at like 180 billion dollars or something at the moment which is just like i mean how do you even begin to <laughs> begin to comprehend that is insane mm. so um yeah i appreciate obviously owning the washington post and other stuff he's got lots of stuff he, he's gonna do but uh yeah it'd be interesting to see where amazon goes as well as a company now i think i i think amazon really yeah they they have turned into this massive concern that have the potential to to enter any industry and completely shake it up. For example, and I'm using this as one example, but something that they have been rumored to be getting into more and more is pharmaceuticals. And there are main players within the pharmacy field, and there are more family oriented businesses within it. And if Amazon were to enter, all of a sudden you have you have shaken most of the main players and probably all of the family ones because they just have have the buying power that these other other companies don't. And that is something that, whilst having that option as a consumer, and we've had this conversation before, Aaron, because certainly, I know you do, and I certainly like to support local or support smaller companies when I can. But I'm not going to do that to my own detriment because if I can buy something at a considerably cheaper price and receive better service, why wouldn't I? 
I know for a fact if I buy from Amazon and I have an issue, I can contact them. I can send it back. I know that if I order it, I will receive it. And I'll probably receive it pretty quickly. And they've proven themselves time and time again to me. And when I do have a bad experience and I sort of let them know, they sort it out. That's the thing with Amazon, isn't it? It's, it's like just too simple, yeah. It's not just one area, though. As you said, it's not like you're just getting it faster or just getting that better experience or just getting it cheaper. You're getting all three of those. It's really hard. And it's almost impossible for local businesses or other online retailers to compete in any way, shape, or form. Because it is, yeah. they, 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 they have to offer not just one of those, not just two of those, but all three, if not more of them. And yep. to start, especially to undercut on price and offer free shipping and get it there really quickly, you're going to be losing money. And Amazon are clearly at the point where, obviously, selling such a broad spectrum of stuff and having such a stranglehold on the industry and manufacturers, um, which I know we've spoken about before, how Amazon kind of dictate prices almost. Having that stranglehold gives them so much power when it comes to that stuff. They can make a loss on, on one thing and gain it on the on the other type thing. Whereas independent retailers or other chains or whatever it is, they have to charge you for that delivery. They, they have to list it at the manufacturer's retail price. All this stuff. But Amazon just seems to be able to completely get around, around it or be completely immune to it. And as you say, I would much rather support local businesses. And I try to do that as much as possible. I will even pay a little bit more. There's a there's a percentage it has to be um, to where like it's not a financially silly thing to do. But I would much rather support a local business. And I know a lot of them, have, Amazon are kind of forced the hand in better service, better returns, kind of that that side of things. And I'm, I'm always happy to, to pay for delivery or whatever, because technically you're paying it with Prime anyway. Um, but yeah, it's just that combination with Amazon and their sheer ability to, to drive that price right down. And Amazon have been on the flip side of that sometimes. Amazon have been the more expensive option occasionally. But most of the time, yeah, it's really hard to, as much as I want to, it's really hard to not buy from Amazon. And that's really annoying. But it, it becomes a vicious circle. And that's the thing, you made the point that the competitors have to do more, do all what Amazon do and more, which is so difficult. And Amazon, when they come across an issue, whether it's logistical or, um, you know, to do, do with the consumer, they just overcome it. Oh, okay, but our, our, our logistics and delivery is a bit of a problem. Uh, we'll, 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 we'll just manufacture and create our own delivery network. Prime. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll just create warehouses everywhere. They have the money to do it. They have the backing to do it. By doing that, they expand their operation. By expanding their operation, they become bigger. By becoming bigger, more people use them. More people using them, more money. They can become bigger again. And the process just goes on and on and on. And the smaller the smaller business loses out and that's dangerous in a way um and i'm saying this and like i completely i use amazon all the time um but smaller businesses lose out and they have no potential to 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 make a comeback and on top of that innovation can stifle now i'm not saying it has but if you don't have competition then you're setting your own standards and boundaries all the time and that's not good either but where's the competition? If I said to you, who, who competes with Amazon? Really? Who? I mean, I can own... The, the only places that really come to mind when you say that are the discount places like Wish.com and AliExpress and that kind of thing. Like, they're the only people that... But they're not even. Uh, yeah, I, just on a global scale, I'm talking of the kind of the sheer volume of products and the cheapness, but they are not the replacement for Amazon. But they're the only people I can think of on that same scale with a slightly yeah. different business model. But yeah, I mean, Amazon are basically the combination combination of hundreds of other retailers um it's not and i so wish that there was not competition in the same space i don't think the world wants another amazon.com um i think as much as we all like that as consumers it's just i don't think what amazon is doing is particularly sustainable for the long term um but i think it is do you do you think the people buying more and more and more and more at next day delivery driving down the price of the industry you know we we've talked we've talked about it before how amazon have literally dictated to retailers what they will buy at um and yeah and know, retailers amazon, bend over because amazon have such an influence i mean yes but if it gets between... to the point where amazon are like driving the price of everything down well then uh, it's the fastest way you start putting manufacturers out of business things like that um if if it's at the point where people actually on any kind of scale monetary wise can't compete with the fact that amazon can sell something for let's say 25 percent 
under retail price, which often happens. I was looking at some headphones today. The manufacturing retail price, £25 from Sony, and other retailers are selling it at like about that. They're selling at MSRP. Amazon have currently gone for like 13 quid from Sony, you know, which is like, because Amazon do that automatic price thing, don't they? It's the bots that set the price, which has led to some mm. funny things in the past. Um, And I just don't think that is the sustainable thing long term. I think Amazon's business model as a whole is sustainable. I just don't think that manuf manufacturers, Amazon don't do anything. Amazon don't make anything outside of their, their Kindle line and, and Echo line. So Amazon do have to keep manufacturers on their side. And I just don't think like driving down the price, causing more and more people to buy uh, buy on there and next day delivery and, and whatnot is something's got to give at some point. And I think I, 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 yeah, I, I know where you're coming from. And um, the, the, yeah, all good things come to an end, exponential growth and so on and so forth. Uh, not that Amazon has had exponential growth, but at the same time, I think with with operating income of between three three and well estimated to be three and six and a half billion for um for, for this year and or sorry the first quarter of twenty twenty one and compared to what four billion first quarter of twenty twenty they're not going anywhere anytime soon and and consumers the demand is just again it's that it's that cycle of convenience if people can get it that, and not be duly inconvenienced and know that if something's wrong they can just return it and Amazon will take the loss they'll take the hit if they need to that's fine yeah so just write it off because they know and this is the thing with Amazon they know that consumer will come back time and time again once they have you once they've given you that great experience it, they know rightly so if they have to take a loss now and then or a hit they'll do it is it sustainable as a business probably not but when you have such a scaled business there's few you can compare them against so it's hard to know but what happens if I, I'm not saying that Amazon won't continue to make money hand over fist that is clearly going to happen but what I'm saying is what happens if all the manufacturers decided enough is enough we can't drive down the price any further we're actually now selling a loss on your platform what happens if all manufacturers went, we're not selling your product, our products on there anymore what happens if Apple well, pulled yeah, back I, out I, Sony well, pulled well, out well, that, that's the next thing because Amazon have continually just created their own products anyway they <laughs> they don't rely on any manufacturer Amazon Basics for everything uh, you know, Am they, they Amazon Basics is just rebranded other people's stuff don't forget they, they don't make any of that they just they slap their name on other people's stuff the only stuff they make themselves is the kindle and the echo all of the basic stuff is just rebranded um it is but it's 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 rebranded to the point where there'll be a contract in place there'll be an agreement and it, it's not as if manufacturing just pull out of that but it's within the manufacturer's interests because if they don't have that platform they're not getting the same exposure that that's the point and people will not come across the same amount of products if they're not on the platform that people are using and and like it or not amazon have that advantage they have that over the manufacturers certainly no manufacturer who, who has any sense is going to drive their their cost um below profit point but certainly amazon have the ability to to, to yeah control that to some extent i just um, i kind of in my head i have this idea where i love the idea of like amazon really heaving off apple and like apple just going you know what sod it we'll just buy you and deal with it <laughs> <laughs> just like I love the idea of, you know, I don't know I've always loved the idea of like Amazon are obviously huge and then Apple and Google are bigger at the moment but I think it'd be really funny if that's how Apple decided to talk Apple very publicly went through that problem with Amazon but for the reason we were talking about earlier Amazon were not doing enough to stop counterfeit products being sold on the platform and partially that's down because Apple didn't want to be involved in any way which is kind of where my, my point was coming from um, but yeah obviously they, they, they reached an agreement but yeah it'd be funny mm. yeah I, I I don't think we'll be reporting this time next week that Amazon has been acquired. Oh, never say never in 2021. <laughs> the world has done crazier things. Yeah. The only last point to make is obviously um, being the CEO of an AWS or, or of AWS, sorry, not an AWS, but of AWS of, of Amazon Web Services is slightly different to being the CEO of a retail centric business. And I guess there are potential connotations with that. Just remains to be seen um, whether, whether that's the case or not in terms of the they're two different products, two very different products, and it would be interesting to see where the shift goes if there is a shift in mindset. It's kind uh, of the, um, the the overall company. It's kind of the flip or the flip side, the opposite to what we saw at Apple. Apple obviously went from having a product guy in charge to with Jobs to a ops guy in charge with Tim Cook. So this is kind of like the reverse happening. I mean, you look at Apple, both worked very well. Although you factually look at the revenue numbers for Apple. 
since Tim Cook has been in charge, and it's just like that. It's just mental, those numbers that they've been able to orchestrate at this point. And obviously Amazon have got this far with Bezos being a strategic guy, an ops guy, whatever you want to call him, in charge. And it's just like Amazon's numbers are also absolutely insane. So yeah, interesting. Nothing's going to change. Like It's not like the CEO is going to come in and go, right, we're scrapping Amazon.com. We're just doing AWS. Like That's not what's going to happen. But I think the, the way focus gets shifted around, bearing in mind Amazon.com is already this pantheon. It's already this uh, this kind of Goliath that, that can't be toppled almost. Um, so it's not like diverting some resources internally or having a different guy in charge is kind of going to change that at any point, let alone anytime soon. Yeah, that, that's the thing, isn't it? Any change that does come about will be very gradual and probably not noticeable on a, a data or t- from an outsider's point of view. Um, and it, it probably will take a while before you can then look at Amazon now versus Amazon in the future versus Amazon in the past and so on and, and draw any comparisons, um, if there are any, that is. Yeah, but it, it will be interesting to see. Or whether Apple just buy Amazon as per Aaron's allegation. It, it, it could happen, as you say. Doubtful, but it could happen. What do you think Apple would do with it? I, I just wanted to see him do it just so they could shut it down and go, ha, who got the last <laughs> laugh? <laughs> uh, um, Apple should do that to Facebook. That's how they That's how they make Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> go away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's part of the process. Zuckerberg takes over Apple as CEO. That would be good, wouldn't it? Oh, I'd be like, wait, no, what? That wasn't meant to happen. <laughs> <laughs> that brings us to the end of 522. Before we come out with any weirder ideologies. Absolutely. You can find more episodes of the show, munchtech.tv for that. If you're listening on your mobile device, munchtech.tv forward slash mobile for the ultimate guide to podcasting, munchtech.tv forward slash ultimate podcast guide. Speaking of Apple, speaking of companies, our interview with Steve Wozniak, co-founder of Apple, computing pioneer and engineering genius, munchtech.tv forward slash was. And last but not least, our newsletter, munchtech.tv forward slash newsletter. As always, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on episode 522. Join us next week on 523. Until then, have a great, safe, pleasant, enjoyable week. And we'll see you next time on episode 523. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.